What is up, everyone? We are back for the 2024 season of the Fight HQ Podcast. Of course, I am Jason Floyd. That is the fighter, Pete Rogers Jr., here to break down UFC Vegas 84. As always, appreciate everyone tuning in for the show, whether you watch us live here on YouTube, watch us after the fact on YouTube, or check us out on the podcasting platforms. We very much appreciate it. Before we kind of get into DFS, let's get a round of applause for my guy, Pete Rogers Jr., going out there getting the dub last weekend. Thank you very much. What's up, everybody? It's been a uh, a long hiatus from DFS and MMA content, and uh, throughout that hiatus, I've just been trying to you know grind in the gym and uh, just trying to stay active. So when my MMA bouts fell through, I accepted a, a grappling bout. Um, definitely not in my uh, expertise, you know what I mean? Like you know, it's not like accepting a striking match, but you know I'm out there trying to better myself every day and showcase all the hard work and accepted the grappling match two weight classes up and it was a good night i was able to go out there and and uh hit a throw almost hit the throw perfectly and then uh captured a rear naked choke and ended up winning the bout so thank you guys for the support in the discord channel and of course thank you jason as always for your continuous support throughout these years and uh it was good i'll tell you what i I gotta be honest jason i think i was more i think i was scared shitless going out there for that Rather than an MMA bout, isn't that really? weird? I felt like just like I had no weapons, you know. And like uh, my corners yelling at me, "Don't elbow him!" Like I wasn't elbowing him; I was just trying to get my arms free. But uh, it was scarier than than an MMA bout for me, just because it's not my, you know, it, I, like I'm completely outside my comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, and I think one of the things that obviously me and you have had a lot of private conversations yeah. the past couple of years, so I, I knew you know how anxious you were to get in there. I, I think that's probably got to play into it as well of get, just getting back in competition. I think that's what it was, um, and I'm actually happy I did it this way because I'm in the back, and you know, you, they actually couldn't find my opponent. So I I don't know if anybody was out there tuning into the stream. I didn't even know we had a stream. Jason asked me, "You have a stream?" I like, I don't know, um, but. Uh, <laughs> They, they were calling my opponent, and then uh, they couldn't find him, and I, they ended up finding him. They had to skip the order and then go back to us. So I'm sitting here. I'm like, I, I hope this guy's here because I just sold all these tickets, and I don't want to look like a fool. And then he was there, but it's just a, a wave of emotions and nerves. Definitely we were high just because of the absence. And then I, I tell you, as soon as my music played and I started walking out there, I was good. I was good. I, I, the The back is the worst part about competition, and anybody who's competed just completely understands that. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. But hey, obviously, I, I knew what uh, what this meant to you to get back in there, and and hopefully uh, the MMA uh, fight will be coming up here soon. And I'm, I'm gonna yeah. say the nerves will not be like it was uh, last week. No, Duke's like a punch, kick, knee, and elbow. At least give me something. <laughs> Somebody's just put me in a bad spot. I just, you know what I mean. Uh, but yeah, it, it was definitely the the right move to go out there and do that. So thank you guys for the support. Well, of course, uh, we are here to talk UFC Vegas 84. Of course, uh, one of the things that me and Pete have talked about as we enter into 2024 is one of the things we do want to incorporate is a little more betting content into the show. Obviously, our core is always going to be daily fantasy sports with DraftKings and uh, FanDuel prize picks. I will tell you, uh, there is one line on prize picks, and we're going to talk about it here really soon. Uh, I got I did my spreadsheet last night, so I got to make sure these, these lines have not changed a little bit. But I'll say uh, the one that stuck out to me the most – 
whether we can trust his fight, his fight HQ IQ here, that one half takedowns on, on Anka Live is the one on prize picks that really stuck out to me because, like, man, if Johnny, Johnny Walker can just get it once, just get it once. But we have certainly seen sometimes. We'll, we'll talk about Anka Live uh, and Johnny Walker, of course, a rematch. We, we remember we seen what happened the first time. In that matchup, of course, uh, we have had one fighter miss weight today. Manel Kopp miss weight, weighing in 129 and a half for his matchup against Matthias Nikolai. Of course, that is a rematch. The first matchup was a split decision win for Nikolai. So we'll talk about that as we do go forward. But I will tell you, of course, we always love to start the show kind of talking about a little game theory in terms of DFS. And Pete, I think really where the game theory topic starts for me at least and i don't know maybe if you're different here but it's about looking at that opening matchup of the main card between bruno fahea and phil hawes as i look at that matchup as that is a priority fight just because of like it's a fight that i don't know if it makes it past seven and a half minutes yeah i definitely think it's important for all your lineups uh because i think the under one and a half makes a ton of sense uh the power of ferrero's tremendous um, do I think he's the most skilled guy? No, I don't. But I do think that he has the the power to to shut the lights off from Phil Hawes. And Phil Hawes has been knocked out a ton. And let me just tell you guys, like, to get knocked out so frequently is not common, okay? And that's not good. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds cra- crazy, but the amount of times somebody's taken that damage, that's all the damage we've seen under the lights. That has nothing to that has nothing to show for what's going on in training. Um, and it's just, it's really, really bad. Once somebody's chin's gone to that degree, it's very hard for me to trust that fighter, despite how technically sound Phil Hawes is, despite how talented he is. It's, it doesn't really matter. Um, just because of, you you don't know which shot, even if it's a small shot, how bad it's going to hurt him. So I definitely think that's a great starting point. I don't know as far as like confidence on who's going to win. I'll I'll lean towards the guy with the healthier chin and Bruno Ferreira. But like that, that's a good spot. But be willing to, you know, be sitting on the edge of your seat as long as you 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 know have the correct exposure for that fight. I think you'll be set up correctly. For me, for roster construction, I I actually am going to be looking at the top and trying to see okay, which nine thousand fighter am I okay getting away from? And uh, because of the weight miss and because of the weight class, maybe Manel Cop has fallen to my least favorite of the nine thousand options. Mm-hmm. Even though I do think that he should go out there and put a stamp on this fight. Um, and then it comes down to McGee, Nolan, Ankalaev, Waldo Acosta, and Gene Silva. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into them. But I, I definitely think it's a week where a lot of favorites make sense. Yeah, I mean, when I was putting together my spreadsheet last night, the thing that really kind of stuck out to me was looking at those 9,000 options. And to me, it was more about who their opponent is than anything yeah. else. Like, you know, look. I have a great relationship with Weston Wilson. Great dude. I just I, I just don't think he's at this level when it comes to the UFC. I mean, and uh, I think he, he got in the UFC primarily because of his relationship with Steven Thompson training there uh, at the gym there. And, uh, and I was telling Pete before the show, like, I'm primarily going to play cash games tomorrow. And, you know, I'm always, when I'm playing cash games, it's about, okay, who is that 7,400 under fighter that I think can go three rounds and give me some points and, and even get a, a, you know, has a low floor in a three round decision loss. And, and this was my, my thought process, even before Manel caught Miss Wade, I was thinking about Nicolau just in terms of that 7,200 if, but of course I do have a concern about him potentially uh, getting knocked out there. I'll, there are some underdogs. I will tell you that do intrigue me. 
Uh, Mario Batista is one of those underdogs that intrigues me. Taylor Lapalus, I think, is another sneaky underdog here. I know. I'm going to let Pete save his super underdog. He's got his super dog of the show. I'm going to let you save that for when we get to that fight because before the show, me and Pete were going talking about various things, and he told me who his – I'm just going to call it your super dog of the week. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, I think you're coming off – you're starting the year with the bold prediction. Yeah, I think I am too. I could just be riding high from my performance last week and just completely shooting from the hip. But I, I just I feel a certain way, and if I feel a certain way, I'm going to say it. I've been wrong plenty of times. I mean, um, but I, I do think that sometimes you have to take the odds in, into consideration. And anytime it starts to get way too high, and I don't agree with it, I, I'm going to look elsewhere, and that's kind of what's happening in this one matchup. We'll get to so from top to bottom, it's a solid card. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's nothing crazy. There are some really volatile fighters with terrible chins, Johnny Walker, Phil Hawes. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, I'm with you there. Of course, uh, appreciate everyone tuning in. If you do got any questions, pop those into the chat, or you can hit up in our Discord channel. Of course, that link to the Discord channel is in below. Of course, so totally free to join. Great community that we have over there. Not just talking combat sports, talking all other types of sports as well. Of course, we have our DraftKings contest going on as well. The link to that contest is in the description below. And, of course, uh, be sure to hit that thumbs up button. We really appreciate it. And if this is your first time checking us out over here on Fight HQ, if you hit that subscribe button, whether you're watching us on YouTube, or if you're checking us out on the podcasting platforms, that would be much appreciated. Now, Pete, let's get right into the main event. We got Ankalive and Walker, the rematch here from last year. Ankalive is a over a five to one betting favorite, minus five fifty, plus three eighty five for Walker. Ankalive ninety four hundred on DK, twenty three dollars on Fanduel. Walker sixty eight hundred on DK, fourteen dollars on Fanduel. I think there's Pete. There's things we can take away from the first fight, and I, I don't think my thoughts have really changed a lot since we saw this first meeting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting bout, clearly, because, uh, you know, you have a guy in Johnny Walker who I've been relatively low on within his career just because of the regional tape. I mean, my man gets rocked and dropped more than, not as much as Phil Haas, but he's, he's at that same level of volatility. And uh, it's concerning for me because that's a lot of damage. And at the end of the day, when the MMA career is done, you're talking about the health of these fighters. And that's a lot to be getting dropped by shots. Uh, granted, it is within the light heavyweight division, and everybody hits really damn hard with small gloves. Um, but yeah, Johnny Walker surprised me. He's one of the the fighters that I have a difficult time picking correctly. Um, you know, I, I thought that multiple people were going to be out be able to go out there and get rid of him. Uh, Ian Kudalaba is one of them, where I actually thought Kudalaba, despite his volatility, was just going to be able to, you know, hit him with something or get him on the ground. Um, but yeah, the pricing point of Johnny Walker at 6,800, it's so cheap that it makes him interesting and I'm going to have Johnny Walker builds. Um, but the way I do see this fight going is that despite the loss on Magomed and Goliath's record, um, where, you know, he lost via submission to Paul Craig back in 2018, that was after dominating throughout that fight. And this is a guy who's shown absolute dominance inside the octagon, uh, did go to a draw, a, a split draw against Jan Blahovich. still scored 84 fantasy points, landed 2 of 10 takedowns, um, had 11 and a half minutes of control time. This is a guy that blends takedowns together really well, has excellent striking, um, beautiful high kick, beautiful left hand. It, it does point me in the direction of Magomed and Goliath, but 
I, I do think that there are crazier things than Johnny Walker just being so damn athletic and so sneaky with his approach that he can land a shot on Ankalaev and and shut his lights off. But uh, I'm going to be going with Magomed Ankalaev here at 9400. Do I think the fight is necessary within your builds? No, I do not. Um, Five-round nature tends to boost them within my exposures, but Magomed Ankalaev, for the most part, is a slower-paced fighter. And Johnny Walker, um, under the tutelage of uh, SBG, has kind of transformed into a more cerebral fighter. Yes, he'll pick up early finishes, but we have seen him go out there and take his time as he did against Anthony Smith. It went 15 minutes. I do think that there is a more patient approach for Johnny Walker. Obviously, if he wins, he's optimal at 6,800. But uh, Magomed Ankalaev being patient, as always, picking his shots, blending the wrestling, possibly just landing one shot to knock out Johnny Walker at 9,400. I think he's a very strong play, but I don't think he's a necessary play, so... I'll be picking Ankalaev, sprinkling Johnny Walker exposure for the fluke flash knockouts, which I do think could happen. Uh, but yeah, I'd say about 80% of the time, uh, Ankalaev walks away victorious. Just went over to Price Picks and see they've actually taken down that takedown prop that was for Ankalaev. <laughs> Maybe a lot of people bounced on that one because uh, when I saw that last night, my first thought was like, oof, oof that's kind of low. <laughs> All he needs is two takedowns to go more. <laughs> yeah, but that was there. Um, you know, the, the fantasy scores, I'll tell you this week, are pretty high all across the board over on, on Price Picks. I mean, Ankalaev, 115.5. Fight time is nine and three quarters. Um, don't, I wouldn't say I. I'd love, I mean, if I was going to play that, I would probably be more looking to go less than nine and three quarters and going more than three quarters. But, um, and then just kind of looking at the, the betting side of this equation, obviously I don't want to touch the, the, the money line on this one at minus five fifty. You gotta be looking at props. I mean, you, you can get minus 200 on ankle. I'd win by TKO KO. Um, I mean, I mean, look, if you want a little, little dangerous, I mean, you want to get a little extra juice and go Walker via DKOK plus 700. I mean, that, that to me is Johnny Walker's path to winning this fight. Yeah, I mean, that's really his only path. I mean, I, I think for 25 minutes, the better fighter is clearly Ankalaev. Uh, could struggle with the reach of Johnny Walker, which is a, uh, a real um, difference maker, especially because Johnny Walker has been more patient, utilizing straight punches, front kicks a lot, knees up the middle. You know, there's a there's a path for Johnny Walker to win rounds and possibly win a decision. But for his entire career, we've really seen, despite him being more patient, he's a he's a finisher. And I I just outside of his KO TKO prop, I don't see how he finishes Ankalaev. So yeah, it'll be an Ankalaev play. And, and I'm with you when it comes to DFS. I don't think this is a fight you have to prioritize just because, I mean, like you say this all the time is the worst thing you want in a five round fight is a third round stoppage. And I think that would be your worst case scenario in this one. Plus, like, you know, that that to me is where you start comparing the, the Ankalaevs to, you know, to Nolan, to, to Silva, you know, McGee, you know, and others and say, do I want to get the Ankalaev? I mean, I mean, look, he could obviously use a lot of grappling, but sometimes I, just, I have questions about his IQ inside the cage. Yeah. You know, he's, he almost kind of outsmarts himself sometimes and just overthinks. He seems like a guy who's just in his head a lot. Um, and, and when you're cautious, it's the best way to move up the rankings. And clearly that's what he wants to do. And he's been trying to, and he's been getting snubbed left and right. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that it's clearly 
the odds are clearly reflective of Johnny Walker's durability. Like there's no way that this should be a minus, almost minus 600 for Ankaliyev, whereas Johnny Walker's proven he's very, very good. Uh, but when, once you bring durability into the equation, then it starts to be like, okay, the, the betting market in Vegas clearly do not trust Johnny Walker's chin. And something you also have to note about this one that's being in the apex, so it's a smaller cage, not the bigger cage like their their first fight was in. The first fight was in a 30-foot cage. This one in a 25-foot cage there as well. Let's move over to the co-main event. Of course, we just mentioned a couple minutes ago that uh, Manel Cobb did miss weight for this one, missed weight by 3.5 pounds. If the commission does approve this fight and say he's healthy to go, it will be a catchweight matchup of uh, 129 pounds. But, of course, uh, this is a rematch. The first one, Nikolai won by decision a couple years ago. Uh, Nikolai is a plus 230 betting underdog minus 280 for Manel Cop. I would imagine we might see some of that those lines of change here as we get through this. Manel Cop, 9,000 on DK, $19 on FanDuel, and Nicolau, he is 7,200 on DK and $12 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I think I think minus 250 makes sense for Manel Cop. I mean, you know, was basically going upwards to minus 300, but with the weight miss, I would imagine that money's going to come in on Nicolau, just hoping that Manel Cop had an injury throughout camp, had a bad weight cut, had something go wrong. Tend to like, uh, you know, Manel Cop in this rematch. I liked him in the first bout, um, you know, and, and it was a, a vet lesson that Nicolau was able to go out there and edge him out. I do think that the power is on display for Manel Cop in this matchup, and Nikolaou's durability has been, uh, you know, has been a little bit exposed. He's coming off a, a very tough loss, but I I actually think that Manel Cop, despite the flyweight division, has some of the best finishing upside. Um, when, when we saw Brandon Royval hurt Matthias Nikolaou, you know, I, I I think a guy with the hands and the wrestling and the movement of Manel Cop is. Uh, a very difficult fight in 2024. So uh, I actually think Manel Cop's going to go out there and look very dominant. Felipe Dos Santos in his previous bout gave Manel Cop a little bit, some fits, which will boost the confidence of Mateus Nicolau in this matchup, but largely due to uh, the aggressiveness of Dos Santos and due to the uh, short notice nature of the bout where when, when fighters don't have much to lose and they go out there super aggressive, you can see anybody you know, give the veteran a, a difficult time. I mean, look at Lando Venata against Tony Ferguson, one of Tony Ferguson's toughest fights up until his complete demise within a division. And it's because guys on short notice are just going to go in there and bring intensity. Um, in this matchup, if it does happen, I think Manel Cop on the outside is clearly the better fighter. And I think that he's going to walk away with a second or third round TKO over Matthias Nicolau. Um, but yeah, 9,000, he's probably one of my least favorites, uh, just because he's patient until he hurts you. And then when he does hurt you, he does smell blood in the water. So the betting market should be around minus 250 for now for Manel cop. I don't hate the underdog selection of Matthias Nicolau because I always say prioritize main event, co-main event underdogs. Uh, they are some of the best fighters on the entire slate and Matthias Nicolau is seven and two in the UFC. Not going to really hold that loss to Brandon Royval or Dustin Ortiz years ago against him. He's shown that he's, you know, a well-rounded mixed martial artist. But I, I definitely think that Manel Cop gets his hand raised. 
My only question about Mel Cop is, and I think this was potentially a golden opportunity for him here to really put himself right there in title contention. I mean, uh, if people did not see, um, Bram Reno now is going to be taking on Brand Roy Val as Albazi yeah. uh, pulled out of the fight due to injury. I saw he had a tweet where basically he said he'd been dealing, I want to say, some neck injuries. And uh, the UFC doctors basically said, yeah, we need we need to pull you from this matchup. But the one thing about Mel Cop is, like, what's his best UFC win? That, that's yeah. the thing that concerns me when you're talking about Ode Osborne, Zalgis, Dvorak, Felipe Dos Santos. I'm like, he doesn't have that marquee UFC win yet. I mean, he, the loss to Nikola, the loss to Pantoja, I mean, nothing to, you know, obviously Pantoja the best one guy in this division, but that to me is a little bit of a concern for me. I mean, it, it, I can see what you're saying, uh, but also, you know how matchmaking is. Sometimes the top guys don't want to fight a guy outside the rankings um, or – you know, in the bottom half of the the top ten, top fifteen, just because they know he's much more dangerous than what his ranking shows, and that that could be the reason why Matthias Nicolau's best wins within the octagon. Tim, obviously, in Manel Cop split decision, but Tim Elliott. I mean, Tim Elliott, Matt Schnell. So I I think that you know he he's not like he's he's beating yeah. Alexandre Pantoja prior to the the you know the title victory or anything like that. And I think it's a, a nice clash for 2024. And this could be that big name for not even a big name, an okay name to kind of get him some, some ranked opponents. So Manel cop at 9,000 is a fine play. Yeah. Just look over prize picks. Uh, the one, the one, that line that stuck out to me last night on Manel cop was a fight time. minutes. So it was 14, three quarters. That now is down to 12 and a half. So, you know, I talk about this wow. on prize picks all the time is sometimes you got to get on these early lines. If you like something early on, because there's going to be people that go over there and kind of pound that line as well. Um, I mean, look, if you think he's going to get a stoppage win going more than 85 and a half fancy score, let me make sure that has not changed. See here, yeah, yeah, he's still eighty-five and a half. I think that may be one you could potentially target if you think he's going to go out there and get a stoppage victory in terms of this one. But I think it's it's going to be one of those things to kind of see, you know, how how does the market kind of view him missing weight, and we'll have to see whether or not this fight does go forward. But I would imagine we do this see this fight here tomorrow. Next up, we got Jim Miller taking on Gabriel Benitez. Jim Miller a minus one fifty betting fair plus one twenty five for Gabriel Benitez. A uh, two hundred for Miller, eight thousand Benitez, and sixteen and fifteen dollars respectively. Benitez was, I believe, was a betting favorite at one point in this matchup, and just a crazy stat because. I saw this uh, when I was just uh, looking at something else. Jim Miller has never missed weight for any of his 43 pro MMA fights. It's amazing. And I actually think that's how it should be, right? I mean, he's in the correct weight class. Um, and that's where weight misses happen a lot is guys trying to cut too much um, and and get a significant weight advantage. And based on Miller's frame, he knew 55 was his home. I'm so impressed with Jim Miller's career. And even more impressed with what we've seen within the past couple of years. I mean, he's just been on a complete tear going back to 2021, knocking out Eric Gonzalez, Nicholas Moda, subbing Donald Cerrone, going the distance with Alexander Hernandez, knocking out Jesse Butler. So clearly, you know, all those finishes are against um, volatile opponents, some short notice replacements. But just because you're fighting guys that are, you know, short notice replacements, it is difficult to get finishes. You know what I mean? Like this is an MMA bout. You don't see finishes all that often. Um, some fighters just can't find a finish. And Jim Miller's aggressiveness on the feet, he actually really looks improved. He's always been a hard kicker, hard calf kicker, uh, throws a beautiful straight left hand, has submission grappling to fall back on. 
for a long time, battled with Lyme, still battles with Lyme. Um, but I'll tell you what, it doesn't seem to be affecting him as it used to. Uh, I, I don't know if he's changed something, altered something, learned better ways to deal with it, but he used to gas out quite a bit for the division. And I haven't seen that um, energy like depleting from him as much as it used to. I mean, going 15 minutes with Alexander Hernandez is somewhat impressive because a couple years back when Hernandez was breaking onto the scene, he looked like he was going to finish everybody. I mean, he finished Darius in a, in a um, short-notice call-up. But this is a guy in Jim Miller who I just think is is clearly riding momentum. And that UFC 300 almost guaranteed call for him I think is awesome. I hope he's not overlooking Gabriel Benitez because he still has to go out there and perform. But Benitez is an older vet as well. But a guy whose durability is much more in question than Jim Miller. Benitez could go out there and win a decision, sure. But like getting knocked out from Onama, Billy Q, Sadiq Youssef, Andre Feely. I'm going to side with Jim Miller here despite the pick em odds at 8,200. Is there a world where Benitez goes out there and kicks the crap out of Jim Miller and lands some big left hands? Yes. But the, the momentum... And the activity in the octagon is going to make me side with Jim Miller. This is a pivotal fight for the slate, in my opinion. The only way this fight isn't a part of the optimal is if somehow both vets turn it into a war and survive. And it goes 15 minutes. So large majority of your lineups, I think probably 75 to 80% of your lineups should have exposure to this bout. Basically the same as you should have for the Ferreira and Phil Hawes fight. But with the small chance that it does go 15 minutes, possibly pivoting away from this fight is a way to get different. I don't hate it. The pick's going to be Jim Miller. Um, and I think a lot of people are, are in agreement that Jim Miller's looked career best lately. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just looking at it, I agree with everything you said there about, you know, it's, it's a fight you got to seriously look at. You look over at prize picks, uh, most of the props are, all the props in this fight are over on the Benitez side. I may be looking more at that fight time of eight and a half, maybe. I, I would lean going less on, on in terms of that one. Um, and, I mean, look, I think, you know, looking from the betting side, I mean, I might throw, you know, we, we talk about maybe throwing some sprinkles on some things. Yeah. May, may find that sprinkle, Jim Miller wins round one, is a, is a sprinkle I'd be looking at. He's very aggressive. Uh, I just wonder if he comes out too aggressive against a vet who's not a short-notice call-up. Okay, so like short-notice call-up, Jason, right? Mm -hmm. I have a fight, week of the fight. We just get somebody to accept the fight. You know that as a vet, you got to make them as uncomfortable as possible. Make Show them that they don't belong. And I think that's why it's boosted his finishing, uh, his finishing totals. I just think against a vet where you know he's dangerous, he's going to have to have some levels of respect because you do not want to get clipped by Gabriel Benitez. Yeah, I mean, uh, looking at uh, over on Best Fight Odds, uh, looking at, at various books, ranges anywhere from plus 270 to plus 310 for Miller to win round one. Maybe if you want to live a little crazy, Jim Miller wins by unanimous decision, plus 500. Maybe that you want to throw a little sprinkle in terms of that. Uh, appreciate the super chat there from Like Liker. We always appreciate those super chats. So if you want to shoot a question in, be sure to uh, let us throw it in there for you. Let's move over to our next matchup. We got a matchup between Ricky Simone and Mario Batista. Ricky Simone is a minus. 190 betting fair plus 160 for Batista. Batista 7600 on DK, 13 on FanDuel. Simone 8600 on DK and $17 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, so you guys know I love Ricky Simone. Like Ricky Simone is 
um, I would love to coach Ricky Simone. Like I, I, I want those types of guys a part of my camp because he's so damn talented and he's a pace pusher. Whenever you have a fighter who can just push a tremendous pace, you can take somebody who's excellent and just bring them to mediocre level because you're breaking them with pace and pressure. And that's what we've seen him do when he's victorious. Um, when he's a little patient on the outside, that's when he can get caught, right? Like the Song Yudong fight in general is just a very difficult fight. You're talking about Song who has great takedown take defense, has phenomenal power for the division, is a part of a wrestling camp where Team Alpha Male, everybody's a Ricky Simone basically. So he's training with you know Ricky Simone type of fighters on the daily. It was just a very difficult bout and – Despite my love for Ricky Simone, I did pick against them there where I like Song Yudong quite a bit. If you look at their resumes, you can clearly see Ricky Simone has fought tougher competition than Mario Batista. Now, the the odds do not reflect how talented Mario Batista is. This is a slight step up in competition for uh, for Mario Batista. The previous matchup against Damon Blackshear was, was not his best. It was not his best at all because... He wasn't able to find much success with his takedowns. He's a good grappler. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu brown belt or black belt under the tutelage of John Crouch, part of the MMA lab, mixing in work with, as you told me prior to the show, Sugar Sean O'Malley, main sparring partners, which is excellent. Um, but you saw where Damon Blackshear can push a pace and wrestle and make you work and scramble and arguably won that bout or made it a lot closer than uh, – than a unanimous decision um, against Mario Batista. I, I think that the chink is clearly in the armor for Mario Batista, where it's like, okay, it looks like a guy in Ricky Simone should go out there and uh, and pick up a very dominant win by mixing in his grappling. On the feet, though, I do worry that Simone can get caught with something big, an explosive knee, an uppercut, something that Bar- uh, Mario Batista has you know, landed in the past. Um, this is a competitive fight, though. So when it's a competitive fight, I tend to not get too crazy with my exposure. Hand building, I can already tell you in my hand builds, I like Ricky Simone a lot. He's just there. He's a guy that has excellent takedowns, good power, good grappling. Um, And I I think this is a buy low spot for him. And in a weird salary range where maybe a lot of people are going to pivot away from him, I like him here at 8,600. With all that being said, I think that Mario Batista – like to me, this is a better co-main event than what the actual co-main event is. I, I don't think Matthias Nicolau is going to look all that competitive against Manel Cop. I could be completely wrong, but for me, Ricky Simone Batista should be the co-main. And I always say, prioritize main event, co-main event, underdogs. I'm treating this matchup as it is the co-main, and Batista is a phenomenal underdog to get behind. Yeah, I mean, my one concern about Mario Batista in this one would be about the the wrestling aspect of this one. And that's where, like, I mean, when I look at the ownership projections, that's why, I mean, you, you look at Ricky Simone and saying, man, you know, he does have that chance to be a slate breaker just because of that grappling advantage that he potentially has in this one. But uh, I obviously love the camp that Mario's with. Um, that room at the lab of 135ers is insane. It's yeah. uh, you know, one of one of his training partners is is earlier on this fight card Marcus McGee that that one thirty five room is amazing at the lab and of course you know Sean O'Malley does part of his training lab but does you know does his training at his own gym as well so uh, obviously they're all getting ready for matchups here but uh, you know looking over at Prize Picks um, you know 
don't really love the, the two props that are there are Ricky Simone. Um, you know, I would probably say if I was looking at the betting side, I might be looking at either Simone or Batista to win, be a decision. This one, I do think this thing does tip. We just go 15 minutes. Uh, by the way, hat tip to Woody over in the chat. Let us know that Manel Cop uh, has been fined 25% of his purse. The fight is on. So kudos to Nikolaus manager for getting more than 20%. <laughs> Oh yeah, they want this fight, especially in a co-main spot. You, you got a Jason Floyd type of manager. You're gonna get at least twenty, <laughs> bro. We we st- we start. Hey, look, you miss weight by three plus pounds. I mean, like we might start negotiation at forty percent. I like it. You can always go down. That's yeah, why my father always told me. You but can't, you can't go, go up. <laughs> yeah, you can't go up. So you could always go down. You can work your way down, but you don't don't undercut yourself. Yeah, I uh, I have had some managers tell me some kind of classic stories in terms of negotiations, and they say when you know the opponent, and he goes, if you might know how bad they need money, you yep. might be able to get a bigger percentage of that purse than you think you can. Next up, let's move over to the opening matchup of the main card. Of course, uh, on ESPN Plus, you got Bruno Ferrer taking on Phil Hawes. Fair minus 130 betting fair plus 110 for Hawes. Hawes 7900 on DK, $15 on FanDuel. And for Bruno, he's 8300 on DK and $16 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty obvious that the under one and a half is uh, appropriately lined at minus 250. I mean, you got a really heavy hitter in Bruno Ferreira here who, uh, despite losing the matchup early, chinned Gregory Rodriguez. And Gregory Rodriguez. Has some similarities, Phil Hawes, when it comes to volatility and durability. Um, Phil Hawes, though, is just on a completely different level, whereas you just don't know which shot, big, small, is going to hurt him, rock him. Um, you know. And then prior to that, he used to be a gasser. He used to be a guy that would gas. So you'd have somebody who isn't that durable now is a sitting duck because he's tired. And then that's a terrible combination when you're going up against a power puncher. And Bruno Ferreira. Um, I, I think that Ferreira is clearly the fighter I'm going to be um, siding with at 8,300 because of those question marks and red flags that I talked to about Phil Hawes. Now, some some you know little interesting tidbits is that Phil Hawes has actually started to go train down in Philly with the guys of uh, Joe Pfeiffer and Sean Brady, and you know I, I don't think it's ever been a skill thing. I, I don't think it's ever been a skill thing. Like, if you look, you see what's happened to Phil Hawes. I, I will probably pick him in a in a skill challenge over almost everybody he's gone against. Ikram, Eliskarov, Roman Delizze, Duran Wynn, Chris Curtis, Dawkins, Imavov, Jacob Malkoon. We've seen some glimmers of his potential. I mean, look at what he did to Nasruddin Imavov. It was a majority decision. Four of seven in the takedown department. 11 minutes of control time. He can clearly go out there and just out-wrestle the hell out of Bruno Ferreira, who's a one-trick pony, and that one trick tends to be where Phil Hall struggles. So I don't really know how this fight's going to go, but i tell you that I'm going to side with the guy with less red flags, and that's Bruno Ferreira. Totally willing to be wrong here, um, but I, I think you absolutely have to have this fight. I don't see how this fight's not optimal, um, unless, of course, a foul or something like that occurs, but... Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to almost lock in this matchup, a part of my lineups. The thing for me is just, can I trust Phil Hall's chin? No, definitely not. You, you just got to be able to, if you take that, that one red flag away, I pick this guy a lot. I probably have this guy lined. I, I have Phil Hall's lined at 8,600. Mm-hmm. 
but because of the durability, I mean, it's bad. Oh no, no! Look, I'm with you there as well. I mean, that's why. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen what the exact number is. I gotta imagine it's probably juice. The what the under one and a half is, under one minus half rounds 50. is on this fight. Yeah, it's minus two fifty. Yeah, yeah, you knew that thing was gonna be juiced. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't, I don't love parlaying props like that, but I seems yeah. I mean, just because it's it's it can be dangerous when you start you know doing that. You know, yeah, and because what should happen doesn't happen. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the game of MMA. What should happen all the time is not what happens. Yeah, because <laughs> like, like I, it was Patty Pimlet, Tony Ferguson, and that killed me with my parlay, or that killed me with my bet because I just completely thought that he was going to get the finish, so close to getting it. But then he taxed himself so much trying to go for the finish. Now it becomes a stretched out fight. You know. Yeah, me and my buddies were talking about this because obviously in Florida, um, sports betting is not legalized with uh, the Hard Rock app, and uh, we we were talking about betting on MMA. And buddy's like, he's like, hey, you remember that guy that hit the fourteen um, player parlay NFL, the anytime touchdown? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and they were like, they're like, could that ever happen in MMA? I'm like, I go the I go if you hit a fourteen leg parlay in MMA, just retire from betting, just retire. Yeah, I mean, if it's money line, that's I can see it happening. That's still really difficult. But if you did a fourteen winning method parlay, my man, I don't know how the hell you did that. That's crazy. Yeah, I would say you just hit a lottery ticket and time to retire. Yeah, for sure. I, I can only imagine that dude that had that fourteener and he was waiting on Monday night. Like, how often that Monday was he like, should I just cash this out? Should I just cash you know, out? you know damn well he didn't pick that. That's his girlfriend who picked that because she probably picked <laughs> all this random shit to happen and it worked. Because when you put logic behind bets, a lot of times you just, you know, you overthink it. Yeah, you overthink it, and that's why when you play too cute, you lose. So yeah. when you know money line, despite the the hefty price tags, is is definitely the way to go. Uh, Samuel, appreciate the super chat. We'll get to your questions right there at the end of Thank the you. show. Next up, we got a heavyweight matchup. We got Cortez Acosta taking on Arlovsky. Arlovsky is a plus five hundred betting underdog, minus eight hundred for Cortez Acosta. Acosta nine five hundred DK, twenty one dollars on Fanduel, and for Arlovsky six seven hundred on DK, nine dollars on Fanduel. And man, Pete, it is twenty twenty four. And Arlovsky is still doing this damn thing at the highest level. Arlovsky's doing it, and I've lost my mind because guess what? I do not like these lines at all, at all. And I'll tell you what. Waldo Cortez Acosta, priced at 9500 despite being a ballooned minus 800 favorite, is ridiculous. If you want to... Put the money line next to the DFS salary. It does look like Waldo Cortez Acosta's, you know, at a, I would say, a an okay price tag given what Vegas is thinking. I'll tell you what, though. Go back and watch his fights. He throws a ton of volume, which is fine. But I just don't think the guy's good, and I don't think a lot of people within his division are good. So what? Like, Orlovsky gets chinned by a former teammate in Dante Mays despite looking fine. And now everybody's off of him. He he loses two fights to two former teammates, Dante Mays and then Marcos Rogerio de Lima. And now everybody just completely forgets the Jake Collier, Jared Vandera, Carlos Felipe, Chase Sherman. You know, like 
you know, decision wins. Tanner Bozer, Felipe Lins. Now everybody thinks that that Arlovsky's completely washed. He's been washed for 10 years. I, I don't know how he's picking up wins, but he is. And, you know, if you go back and you watch Cortez Acosta's regional tape, they claim he's this pro boxer and that he's a phenomenal striker. He's been knocked out twice in pro boxing. And I'm not talking about standing, you know, getting TKO'd. I'm talking get knocked out. I just, I don't know. I could be riding high, man. But I'm telling you what. I think Andre Arlovsky picks up his first finish in 15 years or whatever the last time you got to finish. I, I think that Arlovsky, he's an underdog where it shouldn't make any sense. And, and probably what actually is going to happen is this becomes a a 15-minute sloppy heavyweight bout where the likelihood is Arlovsky loses the decision. But and on a week where I don't like a lot of underdogs, I need somebody to survive. And when you have a 23-16-1 and 16 and 1 record in the UFC, you've seen it from everybody. He's seen plenty of Waldo Cortez Acostas throughout his reign in the heavyweight division, throughout his reign in his entire career. He still trains an American top team. He's sparring with some of the best fighters in the world. He's got he's got the preparation, the team behind him. I think the entire market is off on Arlovsky. And if I look like a fool, I'm okay with it because I always say prioritize main event, co-main event, underdogs, or underdogs in women's MMA and heavyweight MMA. And Arlovsky's a guy I'm getting behind. I think that he can actually just do enough to survive 15 minutes to possibly win a, win a decision. But I'm also not I'm not sold on Cortez Acosta's chin. Um, so yeah, I mean, like even when he gets out volumed, like he can match. Like l look at these numbers. Chase Sherman, he threw uh, 222 significant strikes. Carlos Felipe, 172, 133 against Vandera, and 164 against Jake Collier. Let's say it goes 15 minutes. 158 caught uh, Cortez Acosta uh, through against Vandera. 150 against Rogerio de Lima. There's a world where Andre Arlovsky wins a decision and in price that 6,700 is just necessary. Like I, I would much rather in cash take that punt in hopes that he just can win a decision where I can spend up and get the best possible lineup. Um, so yeah, I I'll be back in Andre Arlovsky here. I don't I don't like Cortez Acosta and I don't like the odds. May 23rd, 2015. Oh, boy. What are you going to do if I hit this? Because the the entire market, what's the odds on this? I'm going to find it right now. Arlovsky to win via KO, plus 1,200. That is crazy. Because I, I, I was going to mention another prop to you. You know, you want to throw a little sprinkle here. By the way, Arlovsky wouldn't be any abstentions plus 1,200, but you know Arlovsky finds himself in these split-slash-majority oh, yep. decisions. All the time. 28-1. to 1. Holy moly. All I'm saying, right, he could go out there and get hit with a right hand and crippled as he did against uh, Dante Mays. Mm -hmm. But the, Dante Mays blended a slip as Arlovsky was coming in, and he just did not see it. Okay, and that's how a lot of knockouts happen. He didn't see it. Prior to that, though, Arlovsky landed a couple sneaky combinations on Dante Mays where it looked like Dante Mays got stumbled a little bit and staggered. And what I see from Waldo Cortez Acosta is a blitzer. So, like, he'll sit on the outside, 
struggled for the majority with dealing with leg kicks. But then when he does decide to go, I can actually see him running into a big shot and getting dropped against the old man Arlovsky, who everybody's completely off against. And by right, look at this, this, this should not happen. Arlovsky should go out there and lose based on how Vegas is pro- uh, projecting it. Mm-hmm. I just think that there's some value on Arlovsky here when you got Jake Collier, Vandera, Felipe, and Sherman, Tanner Bozer, and Felipe Lins, all with you know similar skills to Co- Cortez Acosta, and they couldn't drop him and finish him. Yeah, it's. I mean, and I talk about this in cash of, of finding those fires that you think can go fifteen minutes. And if you think Orlovsky yep. a guy, it's a great salary relief to go out there and get some of those fires that you want. And then I think the next matchup is another matchup that I think you got to look at as potentially as a GPP priority. Uh, you got Parsons as a plus one ten betting underdog. Matthew minus one thirty, uh, eighty four hundred for Matthew on DK seventeen on Fanduel. Parsons is seventy eight hundred on DK, fourteen dollars on FanDuel. And this is one this is the fight and, and I've heard some other people kinda of talk about this week that it's it's a fight I kinda of have circled just because I'm thinking we got a high probability of someone walking away with a stoppage victory here, Pete. Yeah, I, I think that it's a um high scoring affair. And when I was thinking about Semmelsberger's fights within the UFC, he tends to get he tends to land that shot. And he's landed a knockdown. And so many knockdowns in his fights. It's so damn impressive. Um, knocked down Alex Morono. Knocked Jake Matthews down three times. Knocked well, uh, Jeremiah Wells down twice. Uros Medic down one time despite losing that. Didn't knock down A.J. Fletcher. Didn't knock down Chaos Williams. Knocked down Jason Witt and Carlton Minus. I mean, though, that's just ridiculous. You you don't knock that many people down unless you just have ungodly power. And Matthew Semmelsberger here at 8,400 has ungodly power. His Achilles heel is clearly his wrestling and his grappling, um, but we've seen him go out there and land takedowns. He took Jake Matthews down, who's a very solid grappler, took him down three or five times, had four minutes of control time. The issue is if he's put on his back, and sometimes he's just on his back, um, that's where a guy can have a ton of success. That's why Preston Parsons is a slight underdog because of his skill set and the... uh, stylistic matchup um he is a very talented grappler has good top control landed four of six takedowns against evan elder evan elder's a lightweight but that was a short notice fight landed three of 11 takedowns against trevin giles in those fights he had five minutes of control time and seven and a half minutes of control time there's we've seen semmelsberger get put on his back from aj fletcher and and various other fighters jeremiah wells especially so you know I do I think he can get just completely blanketed for 15 minutes or possibly submitted? Absolutely. We've seen that Achilles heel come time and time again. But on the feet, I do think that there is a wider gap in skill between Semmelsberger and Parsons that is going to make me pick Matthew Semmelsberger here at 8,400. Despite him being a you know just a, a big, heavy right-handed fighter um, and you know having some some red flags about him, I do see that Preston Parsons looks uncomfortable, shoots early and often, and then when he's unsuccessful or reversed, that he will uh, he'll be there to be hit. Uh, his submission attempts for Preston Parsons are impressive. Five submission attempts against Evan Elder and three against Trevin Giles, making this one of the most compelling fights on the card. 8,400 Semmelsberger, 7,800 Preston Parsons. I view this as a priority for DFS uh, DFS lineups. But I'm going to be picking the the big heavy-handed striker and Matthew Semmelsberger 
to uh, stuff some takedowns and, and knock Preston Parsons out cold. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those ones uh, on the betting side. I'm kind of looking at inside the distance type props, wins by TKO, KO. That's where I'll be kind of targeting this on the betting side of this one. And I kind of would say, you know, looking at um, the fight time, 10 minutes, I kind of I would go less than 10 minutes on this one. And just like Pete said, I think you got to prioritize this for DFS. Next up, we got Marcus McGee taking on Gaston Bolanos. Bolanos plus 210 betting underdog, minus 260 for McGee. McGee, 9100 on DK. 19 on FanDuel, and for Milano, he's 7100 on DK and $12 on FanDuel, Pete. Yeah, so I, I was I was kind of contemplating if I was going to make this my bowl call of the week, and um, I'm not. I, I'm not. I, I'm going to be siding with Marcus McGee here, but let me kind of get you into my thought process where, you know, you have minus 250-ish for Marcus McGee, plus 190, plus 200 for Gaston Bolanos. If this is a kickboxing fight and there are no takedowns, then I think this fight is lined much, much closer. Um, I, I think that even Gaston, it could be pick odds. So is this going to actually be a blended arts fight where wrestling is going to be involved? Or is Marcus McGee going to just be content with keeping it on the feet, which will actually open the door for Gaston Bolanos to leg kick and possibly win a decision? I think that the, you know, the finishing upside is clearly on Marcus McGee's side. He has wrestling in his back pocket to use it against Gaston Bolanos, who is a very high-level kickboxer, making the crossover into MMA for several years now. But it takes a while. It takes a while. Being under the tutelage of Team Alpha Male has helped Gaston Bolanos. But I still see kickboxing tendencies that are going to take some time to get out. Uh, Marcus McGee has great you know, movement, good power, good combinations. Clearly the better mixed martial artist. It just comes to what happens if Marcus McGee is so accustomed to dominating people on the feet that Gaston can defend just enough takedowns that this does become a kickboxing fight where Marcus McGee's uh, volume is just not enough to keep up with Gaston Bolanos and possibly win um, a come-from-behind decision. Definitely possible. 7,100, you're talking about a guy in Gaston Bolanos who's very young, um, if, if you do not like the Arlovsky punt, then I think that the the uncommon punt for Gaston Bolanos to win a, a kickboxing decision at 7,100 does make a lot of sense. This is a week where I do not like underdogs, so I'm trying to put my mind and wrap my head around what's going to happen. But I actually do think that Marcus McGee, whether he hurts Gaston on the feet or uh, Gaston just throws a, a sloppy or a lazy leg kick and McGee's just going to counter and get on top and, and utilize his his complete tool set uh, within this bout. So I'm still picking Marcus McGee at 9,100, but there are some chunks of my lineups where I, I'm getting to Gaston Bolanos and not getting to Andre Arlovsky. I, I do think that he's a very unpopular underdog despite the true kickboxing skills that he possesses. I think one of the questions I would have on Marcus McGee, because we have not seen at the UFC level, is what if this fight does make into a third round? What what does he right. look like in a third round? I mean, I think if you're looking at kind of presenting both sides of the equation here is obviously we've seen him be a finisher in the UFC with first and second round victories. But that that would be a little bit of concern to me if this thing does go into the third round. Um, you know, if you look at the prize picks, nine and three quarters for a fight time. 
hundred and a half fancy score for McGee and 40 and a half significant strikes there. I would say this, man, I, I kind of wonder if maybe going less than 40 and a half significant strikes, maybe potentially the play, you know, in, in terms of this one. But uh, I, I do like Marcus McGee go out there and, uh, you know, I always – Especially when you have fighters fighting on the same car that train together on the regular, that's always one thing that, that sticks out to me. And, and like I mentioned about earlier, that room at the lab when it comes to 135 pound fighters is, is just a great room. Next up, we got Basarat taking on Lapalus. Lapalus is a plus 225 betting underdog, minus 275 for Basarat. Basarat, 8900 on DK, 20 on Fanduel, and for Taylor, he is 7300 on DK and $11 on Fanduel. Yeah, tricky fight, right? Like, uh, um, not sure which Basharat brother I think is better. I I don't know if Fareed is the better brother or or if Javed Basharat's the better brother. I think that they both possess well-rounded skills. Uh, Fareed seems to be a more grappling-oriented fighter, whereas Javed seems okay to stay on the outside and kickbox a little bit more. Fareed picking up a win against Amon Blackshear is pretty damn impressive on, in his debut. Three of six in the takedown department. Five and a half minutes of control time against a very, very talented grappler and wrestler. Um, going, cutting right through Clayton Rodriguez in the first round, landing two of five takedowns, three minutes of control time in a four minute victory, uh, scoring 111 against Clayton Rodriguez. Super damn impressive. Um, you know, I, I think he's at a price point where a lot of people don't necessarily want to uh, put him in their lineups because the 9,000 options look more. Uh, look to have more finishing upside. Uh, Taylor Lapalus is a guy that I'm just, I think he's okay. I, I think he's okay, and I think his tendency is to go the distance. Um, throws with okay volume, decent accuracy. Seems to be just, he seems like he's going to have, uh, you know, he's going to be a step behind in every facet of the game. I, I just see some of these losses within his career. They're not that impressive. I mean, losing to Eric Perez, that's a really long time ago, but uh, getting a second shot in the UFC and going 15 minutes with Callan Loughran, uh, scoring 64 fantasy points. There's just no eagerness to his game. There's no, there's no like, I don't know. He, he does not go for the kill. There's there's no hunger behind anything he does, in my opinion. Uh, Fareed Bashra is just a guy who's going to work, work, work. He's a pace pusher, excellent grappler. Solid enough striker. I think his volume is just going to be too much for Taylor Lapalus. Lapalus has an excellent record, so he could make himself be one of the most popular underdogs on the slate. And this could be a more competitive fight than what I'm giving credit for. But I think that Fareed Bashra at 8,900 is a very solid play, and he's going to pick up another victory. Yeah, this is one of the ones uh, looking for an underdog potential punt play was Taylor was one of those ones that I was looking at uh, in terms of this one. And, of course, Bostrot's the only one that does have a takedown prop over on Price Picks right now, and that's three takedowns. I mean, it's a big number. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot, man. You need four to, to make some money. So Gee, uh, I'd probably pivot away from that, to be honest. <laughs> I, I do think that he needs to do that because on the outside, Taylor is a little tricky. Uh, Freed will have success, but um, – you know, anytime you're talking about somebody who trains at Extreme Couture, they're going to have excellent wrestling and grappling and have a good strategy behind them. So I like Fareed. Let's go over to our next matchup. We got our biggest betting favorite on this card, a 10 to 1 betting favorite. That is Gene Silva taking on Weston Wilson, who is a 6 to 1 betting underdog. Uh, Silva is 9600 on DK, $22 on FanDuel. And for Weston Wilson, 6600 on DK and $8 on FanDuel, Pete. 
Yeah, so so this fight came down to me like who do I like more? Do I like Gene Silva more or do I like Waldo Cortez Acosta more? And it's like it's clearly Gene Silva because I actually can see Andre Olovsky winning and hence why I picked him. Weston Wilson, a karate specialist under the tutelage of Stephen Thompson, uh, but he's not really good. I, I, I just see him you know, being able to get hit. Listen to uh, an interview or read an interview about him wanting to utilize his grappling more in this in this fight against Gene Silva, which, I mean, that is not their strong suit, a part of that camp at all. Um, it could be a sneaky way to avoid the power of Gene Silva in hopes to tax his gas tank because coming into the Contender Series, Gene Silva looked like a guy who uh, who tired over time. But being a part of the, the Fight Nerds team, I think their preparation is excellent. They're, they're one of the, the teams on the rise, and I've been pretty big on them. Uh, very big, very big power for Gene Silva. Um, well-rounded skill set. Uh, I think he's going to hurt Weston Wilson really badly and end up knocking him down at least once en route to a TKO KO finish. Um, it, it's just he better not get behind on the scorecards or lose a round or two because at that price point, you can't afford him to to go out there and have a slow start at 9,600. So. Uh, Gene Silva is clearly clearly the play for me. Uh, Weston Wilson is a big, big featherweight, very long. Perhaps he can just dance on the outside and win a 15-minute decision, but I do not see it. I'll account for it in like a small portion of my lineups, but uh, Gene Silva at 9,600 seems like a a free square this week. Yeah, I mean, that price point is the thing that really, I mean, to me is if you're going to put him in your lineup, I feel like you're starting with him. And then you're yeah. working the rest of your lineup together. Yeah, I that that's definitely what you have to do because you know salary becomes difficult and restrictive at ninety six hundred. Yeah, it's just one of those things where I just look at that that price tag. You know, man, you need that first round finish. And uh, by the way, on Prize Picks, uh, four minutes is the fight time for uh, Gene Silva in terms of this one. Next up, we got Nolan and Mata. Mata plus two seventy five betting underdog minus three fifty for Nolan. Nolan nine two hundred DK twenty on Fanduel, and for Nicholas, he is seven thousand on DK and ten dollars on Fanduel. Yeah, I mean Nicholas Mota from uh, coming from uh, Extreme Couture, a guy that I wanted to materialize into the UFC, but it just does not happen. It hasn't happened at all. Um, swings with bad intentions, but telegraphs a lot of his shots. His durability is awful. Um, his fight IQ is somewhat bad as well. Uh, if you if you look on his box scores, it's ugly. Uh, get knocked out against Jim Miller picking up a win over Cameron Van Camp, getting knocked out brutally against Manuel Torres and clearly losing decisively to Trey Ogden with that odd stoppage despite him defending the choke. Um he was a he was a fighter I circled in, in you know and possibly get behind and talking myself into an underdog shot, but I just I, I almost think that he's just not built for this because when when his matchmakers, when the matchmakers and his management are picking matchups, this is not the fight that I would be accepting or, or picking because Tom Nolan's massive for the division, really, really hot starter, um, has solid Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well, but he's just very dangerous. And given Nicholas Moda's durability question marks, you can't be putting him in there with dangerous people. You should be putting him in there with, you know, like that's like the previous matchup made sense going up and uh, trying to to pick up a victory over Trey Ogden. Not a finisher, really. Uh, Tom Nolan's a finisher, and I think that he's going to uh, 
pick up a very quick finish over Nicholas Moda. This is his UFC debut, so the bright lights could possibly get to him, but this seems like a kid who's ready, big for the division, has a lot going for him, and Nicholas Moda, unfortunately, besides being a part of Extreme Couture, does not have locks going for him, but in an exchange of, of hooks, Moda could have the tighter hook and land it on Nolan and knock him out, but I think that's a less than 20% chance, so I'll be siding with Tom Nolan pretty significantly. Yeah, I'm with you there. Tom Nolan was one of the ones that, you know, when trying to get away from some of those other 9,000 options, he was the guy that I was looking for in terms of there. Their opening match, we got Joshua Van taking on Felipe Buns. Buns plus 210 betting underdog, minus 260 for Van. Van 8,800 on DK, $18 on Fandle for Felipe. He's 7,400 on DK and $12 on Fandle. Yeah, so we have uh, Joshua Van who's accepting fights all the time, and I love it. I love the activity. I love the volume from Van. I love the. The pace that he pushes, throwing 234 significant strikes against Zhalgas Jumagalov, then throwing 300 significant strikes against Kevin Borjas. Kind of surprised that he scored as well as he did against Kevin Borjas in that bout because it didn't look like he was going to be on a spectacular scoring, uh, going to have a spectacular score in that bout, um, being priced at 9,200, but he did pay off at 106. Uh, attempted two of four takedowns, landed two of them. Um, so, yeah, I think Joshua Van despite accepting this fight on relative short notice, is the guy I'm going to favor in the matchup. Felipe Bunis, a you know, he has some some striking to him, but his skill set clearly resides in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu realm. Uh, very, very sneaky submissions off of his back. Can't have Joshua Van getting lackadaisical at all if it hits the mat. He needs to work his way back up. He needs to not get out-scrambled. He cannot be put in a compromising position. I mean, Bunez has had a full camp. Joshua Van has had slightly an accelerated camp. So that's always something to take into consideration, especially when you have a, a the person accepting the fight on short notice being priced at 8800 and being the favorite. I think people just believe in the skill set of Joshua Van. Hopefully he's in shape. Hopefully he's prepared. I believe in the skill set as well. The hands look great. He digs to the body well. He looks like a guy on the rise for the flyweight division and uh, should pick up a victory here against Felipe Bunes as long as he is not put in a compromising grappling situation. Yeah, I'm with you there on Van as well. I do like him to go out there and get the win. And, man, it's massive ownership coming to him over on DraftKings. So maybe, yeah. you know, and, of course, you know, I just love, love rostering the first fight of the night. Yeah, yeah, you love it is right. And <laughs> I'm sure you're going to be pivoting away from that. I, I I tell you, I found myself towards the end of last year. I was I was going with the first five of the night, and like it, it, it either gets your night off to a great start or a really crappy start. It's one or the other, yep. like, you know. It could it could like get you off, say, hey, you know, all right. But it's also when when someone's got that kind of ship, it's also something kind of scares me a little bit. There, uh, let's get into our straight up fight picks here. These are non DFS related, non betting, just straight up here. Uh, main event, I think, is clear. It's, it's got for me is Ink Live. Ink Live. Uh, even though he missed weight and he didn't look great on the scale, um, it, it, I was watching the video when you were breaking down a fight and he had that look of like, it almost seemed that it was that look of they just stopped the weight cut and uh, it was like, we're just going to take our fine, but I'm still going to say Manel Cop gets the job done. Yeah, Manel Cop for me. I, uh, it's, it's a coin flip fight for me, but I'll go Jim Miller. Jim Miller, I really hope so. Give me underdog number one and Mario Batista. I respect it. I'm going to go with Ricky Simone, though. Uh, give me uh, Bruno Fajaya. Yeah, Bruno Fajaya for me. 
I can't do it, bro. Cortez Acosta. I mean, like I just can't. I can't trust Arlovsky. No, well, I am trusting Arlovsky. I'm trusting the guy who's been around for 35 years, um, ignoring all the red flags. But yeah, give me Arlovsky. I'm going to go underdog number two in Preston Parsons. All right, I'm on the opposite side. Big, big puncher, Samuelsberger for me. Uh, give me uh, McGee. McGee. I'll go Basarat. Basarat. Silva. Silva. Nolan. Nolan. And Van. Uh, and let's hop over. Uh, it mentioned about prize picks. Um, if there is a takedown prop that ends up getting put on Ankalive, obviously I don't see they're going to put that one and a half number out there again. I just want to refresh these lines just so they're, they're the most accurate lines in terms of these projections that they have over there. Uh, looking at uh, takedown props right now, Boss Rot 3. I mean, it's, it's just it's a lot of takedowns. I mean, if that hits two and a half. I'm doing it. But until that point, yeah. I, I think four takedowns in general. So basically, you need one. Say it goes fifteen minutes. You need one around, and then one of those rounds, we need Lapalus to get back and have a mat return for for Basra. Clearly possible, uh, but very ballsy. Fancy score, I would tell you, there's not a lot I love there. Um, the one yep. I would probably look to look at being a more than play, I think, would be Bruno at seventy seven and a half. I mean, look, he gets a finish in the first second round. He's going to uh, get past that number there. Uh, you look, you look at fight time. Uh, I, I did like them. No cop when it was 14, three quarters, now 12 and a half. Don't love that. Uh, as much there uh, outside of that, uh, not a lot that I love over there in terms of that. Uh, then the significant strikes prop. Um, I think the Ricky Simone 47 and a half. I would be looking at potentially as a more play there. Interesting. Um, yeah, you know, some of these weeks you, you find these these prize picks props and they look appeasing and uh, it looks like Jason can get an edge on them because he's the prize picks bas- master. Uh, but sometimes you just got to be able to, to recognize when it's not good lines. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, we'll get some of the score questions before we get into the YouTube questions. Uh, first up, we got uh, value plays underneath 8K on DraftKings. That. Value plays under 8K on DraftKings. Well, uh, it's Phil Hawes, but I, I mentioned all the mm-hmm. stuff why I don't trust him. Uh, trust him. Yeah. Preston Parsons because of the takedown upside and submission upside. Batista, I think, is the, the fighter in an actual competitive fight that I can agree with you on. Um, Bolanos, if it becomes a kickboxing fight, highly unlikely it is, though. McGee's smart. Um, and then Arlovsky for me, just as a heavyweight punt could just be a vet lesson against Waldo Cortez Acosta. Uh, next question was about FanDuel cheapies. Not, not a ton that sticks out to me in, in terms of, um, potential finishing abilities. I mean, I mean, I do look at the Fahey and Hawes. I mean, they're both 16, 15, but just kind of looking at that 14 and below, um, even though I like Ankalaya the win, Johnny Walker, you know he's got a punch chance, potentially could knock out Ankalaya, but I, I necessarily don't see that one happening there. Outside of that, maybe Bolanos at $12 is a cheapie to look at. What's the what's the prize for FanDuel now overall? 5000 10000 I don't think it's 10000 I'm I'm gonna try to log in here into my uh my FanDuel account and see what it exactly is. But yeah, I, I remember the end Definitely of last too year. Low. The prize pools were just so bad over there that like it, it was I almost think esports has a higher one. I, I it was just one of those things of I was like, Why am I playing at FanDuel? I I used to love to play at FanDuel. Um your big contest over there, five thousand in the first place. 
Yeah, pretty bad. Yeah, and then your next highest is 200 to first place. Almost almost at the point where we don't even have to talk about FanDuel anymore. I I mean, I when I put something in the score, I was I thought about asking a question, do you guys even want us to talk FanDuel? I know. There's a few people that play on FanDuel and but I mean, gosh. I I, bad. I do feel like if you're if you're looking to get away from the DFF Sharks on DraftKings, I think going to FanDuel is not a bad idea. Yeah, you can play with you and your three friends, and that's about it. And besides that, I want like it was almost disappointing. I, I, I there was a couple of friends of the podcast that put out some tweets prior to them really launching the slate on DraftKings, and it was like low tournaments. And DraftKings caught wave of of the complaints on on Twitter or on X, and ended up putting out actually good tournaments for this fight card. But up until the complaints, I mean, it was pretty pretty bad out there. And yeah. we're like, what the heck, man? Everybody's been enjoying you know DFS on DraftKings for MMA, and uh, I think we've definitely brought a lot of people I, to it. And I think dra- it's been good enough for they shouldn't be diminishing the the tournaments. My guess would be is they're probably concerned that where they they would fill it up. That uh, just looking from a pure business aspect, that's where yeah. I would kind of think that maybe DraftKings a little bit worried. And I look, I'm sure they have a tons of analytics out there that tells them kind of what is a sweet spot in, in terms of of these guaranteed prize pools out there. Uh, core three plays on DraftKings. So this this was a tough one for me, Pete, because I was as I was looking at the slate last night, I was like, man, who am I who am I developing a lineup around? Yeah, it's very hard. Very, and very I think it, for me, it was more developing a lineup based on salaries and fights. Like if we're just talking about from a GPAP aspect, I was looking at uh, Bruno and Phil was a fight that was kind of my starting point. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you three fighters that I really feel confident in just because it's it, – I'm confident in them, but it, I don't feel like – absolute flag plants about them but it's the Semmelsberger Parsons fight mm-hmm. um, I'm picking Semmelsberger it's the Bruno and Hawes fight I'm picking Bruno and it's the Jim Miller Benitez fight and I'm picking Jim Miller but just because I'm picking those guys doesn't mean I don't have the other side in in different situations but th- those three super 8,000 fights seem to have some of the best upside and, and perhaps you pivot away from one of them and then you bring Ricky Simone Batista into the equation. Now you're talking about four incredible fights that we haven't even gone to 9,000 yet. Yeah. Uh, best leverage play. There's not a lot that sticks out to me in terms of leverage play. I mean, and the only thing I would point to is something that you say here on the show all the time, underdogs in main event and co-main event. Yep. I mean, looking like, but- I mean, not ownership's kind of very spread out. I mean, there's not like, I mean, the, the fighters that are underneath, you know, 15% are the guys you expect to be under 15%. Yeah. By the way, how I about mean, we, I, we don't have a female matchup on this card. I know. Yeah, no no women's MMA. I do think for being a main event fighter, Johnny Walker's being completely overlooked. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with Ankalaev as the pick, but I mean... That's that ownership's either got to be wrong, or, uh, or just everybody's expecting Walker to get flatlined because yeah. Nicholas Moda should not have more ownership than Johnny Walker. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you in terms of that one. Uh, best takedown upside, uh, I think it's, uh, I look at Ankoliev, um, but I think it's more of a question of can Walker get back up? I think that that's a big one for me. So takedown upside for me is Fareed Basharat and Preston Parsons and Ricky Simone. Uh, I, I think those three with Ankoliev as the fourth makes a ton of sense based on their average control time. Fareed having four and a half minutes. Preston Parsons having four and a half minutes. Ricky Simone having four minutes. Um, that all makes sense. Uh, best uh, takedown, excuse me, excuse me, rank the 9K options. So we have six 9K options available here for this one. So we got Ankoliev, uh, Cop, Cortez, Acosta, McGee, Silva, and Nolan. I probably, for me, I think I still would say Silva's number one. Yeah, and But maybe. I think it, it's a... It's more about the opponent than anything else. Yeah. Uh, outside, then I would probably go my number two. I'd probably say Nolan three. Ankalaya four, McGee five, uh, Manel six, Cortez Acosta. I completely agree. Absolutely. To a T. Uh, best pump plays underneath seventy six hundred. Well, I will say this: my bet, my pump plays start kind of at like seventy three and below. Um, but if you're if you're looking under seventy six hundred, Bolanos, Nicolau, and Cash, and then Walker. Yep. So uh, I kind of put. Bolanos and Arlovsky for cash underdogs because there is some there is a chance that they win a decision, mm-hmm. right? Pretty high chance that they can win a decision. Underdog who can actually score well with a big score, I think in that range under seventy six hundred is uh is Johnny Walker. But I do think that like you you have to understand what you're rostering. Expect a zero. We'll wrap up here with uh, some YouTube questions. Ryan says, uh, for the 888 on FanDuel, who are we liking for top MVP and top value? Um, I mean, look, Ink Live is going to be very popular in, in terms of that. I understand that. I uh, don't understand the popularity of Cortez Acosta. Uh, that could be as much about uh, betting against Arlovsky. Uh, of course, Gene Silva is going to be very popular there. Um, I might look at Tom Nolan as a little bit of a kind of, a, you know, saving a little bit of ownership there. Yeah, I like Tom Nolan. I, yeah. I do like him. And then when it comes to value over there, um, if Batista can stop the takedowns, I mean, he, there could be some value there at $13. Uh, don't mind Jim Miller at $16. Obviously, uh, either Bruno or Phil at 16 and 15 respectively would be ones that stick out to me. I like it. Okay. Uh, next up here, uh, who are the favorites for a first-round finish on the card? Um Gene Silva would be one that I would point to. Um, Bruno would be another one that I would point to. And I think uh, Nolan would be another one. Uh, it would be, those would be my three. Yeah, it's it's clearly Gene Silva. It's clearly Nolan. And that's it for me. It's just two. I will get to uh, Sam's super chat here. He's got his usual questions here. Uh, top two cash, top two GPP, top two underdogs. Uh, in terms of a uh, top two cash for me, um, I mean, the problem is I, I do like Gene Silva and Tom Nolan, um, but obviously that's going to take up a chunk of your salaries. Maybe, maybe you look at, uh, 
Bruno, Jim Miller. I mean, GPPs, yeah. I, I think you're looking at the Bruno fight, and I think the other one would probably be the Parsons fight. Yeah, it's all about exposure to the correct fights for me. I mean, like, I, I think there's plenty of fights. Like, I'll probably be underweight to the flyweight bout between Cop and Mateus Nicolau. I'll probably, I'll probably be slightly underweight to the Van and Bunez fight. And then it's like, okay, which favorites am I going to be slightly underweight to? Going to be underweight to Waldo Cortez Acosta. And then after that, it seems like game on. I'm going to be like ready to, to get exposure to everybody else. Yeah, I mean, and also Sam asking about some underdogs. I mean, uh, I, I look at uh, Batista, Hawes, Parsons would be probably my top three underdogs that I think have a chance to win. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, like, there's a chance for everybody, but like in competitive fights, I think you're you're telling them who's in a competitive fight, and I would agree. Yeah. Uh, inside the distance fights, the main event: um, Miller Benitez, Fajera Hawes, Silva Wilson, Nolan Mata, and I think you probably yep. throw Van in there as well. Oh, interesting. Uh, the Jason special, which I'm guessing he's referring to the first Friday night. I do like Josh Van that one, but, uh, I mean, it's the thing about that one is with Van being 8,800, it's, I, there's some guys I want to get to that are, are, have a higher salary than him. So it's more of a roster construction uh, situation there. Uh, Pete's special. Oh, that's it. <laughs> your, your wonderful 8,000 8, 8, fight. Yeah. It's Jim Miller, man. Yeah. Uh, favorite parlays. Um, I'm, I'm typically like a two to three leg parlay guy in MMA. That's kind of yeah. what I, I don't like to go more than that just because I think once you get more than that, it's tough. Um, I think a cop Bashra and van parlay isn't bad. Okay. You know, it, it's like not the craziest odds, but you're also getting some three fighters that I feel decently about. And then you're you're avoiding some volatility. Obviously, in the Van Cop and Basharat fight, you're just hoping that Farid doesn't lose to a vet in in uh, Taylor Lapless. That Cop can actually overcome an opponent he's lost to, and that Joshua Van uh, can win a bout that he's accepted on relative short notice. But I think those three, it's an it's a unique parlay that I think is uh, has some security to it. Uh, his over-under on finishes, eight and a half. I think that's a fairly good number there, Sam. Um, I would probably still go under, though. Yeah, less. Less. Eight and a half. That's aggressive. Uh, there, there's four fights I I, I kind of label as, I think, high probability to go the distance there. Eight and uh, a half. Next up, Brian says, uh, can, we, can we play Arlovsky in the 888 on FanDuel for value? Um, I mean, look, he's $9. I get getting the value. I think it's depending on if you're trying to get to those, you know, multiple $20 and up fighters. I understand that. But, um, I mean, that score could be really bad. Yeah, it's mainly a DraftKings play. Yeah. Because of uh, how, how expensive the 9,000 options are. Ryan says, uh, for FanDuel, rank these values in order of priority. Parsons, Batista, Arlovsky needs salary savings. Uh, I would go, I'd put it in that order. Parsons, Batista, Arlovsky. The reasons I would put Parsons above Batista is I think if that fight, I just think that fight's a going to be a finish. I would on one, on one way or the other. 
Yeah, I'd flip Batista, Parsons, and then Orlovsky. Yeah. Rank your top three MVP and value plays on options. My top three for for FanDuel, I will say this. In terms of FanDuel, I'm more looking at an ownership and trying to get different over there. So, I mean, look, I understand why Ankoliyev and – and Gene Silva are going to get high, but I think you, I'm looking at guys like Nolan, Joshua Van, to try to get a little bit of an edge there on the crowd there. Uh, let's see here. Next up, uh, if you go 9600 and you got to hope for some underdogs really hit and cash out, uh, that's not a bad thought there. Um, let's see here. Uh, then he says uh, some tough picks this week, but uh, high risk is high reward. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of those things. And because uh, I was thinking about this earlier today, we can kind of wrap on this. It's if you're playing on DraftKings and you're playing in those big contests, you just got to understand kind of who you're going up against, and, and understanding that there, you know, if, if you're not a a max entry player, you got to develop lines based on how many entries you're putting in. I mean, I think that's yeah. that's one of the best advice. I mean. I will say this when when I play in those 150 maxes and if you know if I'm only putting you know a small amount of entries in I go kind of crazy. Yeah, you have to. And also like you have to be willing to stomach rostering some pukey options. Like you have to be you have to be like looking at your lineup saying, "Oh my god, I do not like this because we're talking about a lower level UFC card. We're not talking about a UFC 299, UFC 300 where you're getting incredible talent underneath 8,000 to 7,500. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you have to be able to take some risks and take some shots when nobody else is willing to. That's why I'm, I'm okay with ex- increasing more exposure than the seven to 10% of Orlovsky that the field has just because nobody else is doing it. And I actually think that there's a world where it's a lot more competitive than, than what the odds suggest. Yeah, that 299 card is absolutely stacked. If people have not seen what that card is going to be there. but Gross. Of course, as always, we appreciate you tuning in for the Fight HQ podcast. We, of course, we'll be back next week. We got the pay-per-view next week. Of course, only two UFC events this month. Of course, you got the pay-per-view next week there in Toronto. So, Pete, anything you want to uh, leave the people with? No, I just want to say thanks, guys. Thanks for the support. Reaching out to me on social media for uh, for my match. Um, all the well wishes. Much appreciated. You guys tuning in to us live is always appreciated. Uh, sending super chats, liking, subscribing, talking in the Discord. It, it's pretty cool, and we, we really appreciate you guys. And let's kick 2024 off the right way, and let's take down some tournaments this week. Yeah, I don't I don't got a game till Monday, so uh, I'm gonna try to be uh to watch these fights here live tomorrow, and so I'll be in that Discord. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, and of course, and one of the things about being Discord, you know, guys like to to share what their bets are, what they're playing DFS, and and just having those conversations about what what you're thinking. It's always it's always great. Like that's why I love when me and Pete disagree because then I can kind of see where Pete's at, he can see where I'm at. Yeah. So we appreciate everyone tuning in. So that's gonna do it for this episode of the Fight HQ Podcast. We'll be be back here next week as we'll preview UFC 297.